You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Hello, hello. Thank you for tuning in to the Batuta Advocate radio show here on Desert Rock FM. My name is Clancy Overall, and joining me for today's chat is Errol Parker. He's just out the back of the moment taking a phone call from our local member, David Littleproud. It seems the implosion of the coalition government is uh, imminent because, I mean, we, we know he'll probably get re-elected in this uh, great reckoning of the uh, May election, but uh, I don't think many other people will and they probably won't be in power. So he's just uh, he's just asking for a few favours, as these, me, uh, these political types often do, but he's certainly not going to get them here, although uh, we do appreciate the support of our local member. Now, we made our way back out to the desert after an amazing nationwide uh, tour with the Batuta Advocate Roadshow. And uh, we're finally being able to settle down into the festive season, sitting out here in the 50-degree heat we are, we're so used to out here in the Channel Country. Coming to you live today from the Koala Mattress Studio down on Daru Street. Yes, thank you, thank you to our podcast sponsors, Koala Mattresses. You can go to their website for a cheap mattress today. It'll save you a lot of running around if you are looking to spruce up your uh Sleep hygiene, Uh, they've got all the things you need there. Now, our guest this week is actually a master of storytelling, and he's incredibly well-versed in the Australian uh, laconic-type humour and storytelling. Spent a lot of time out in the bush as a teacher, spent a lot of time in the city as a teacher, and really is from the same school as the Lawson Pattersons. Toured with Slim Dusty, in fact. He's done a fair bit of time out in, in, in the pubs, as we've learnt with this new book he's written. And uh, we sat down with him in our little makeshift studio when we were down in Sydney for the roadshow. His name is Jim Haynes, and he's just released a book called Best Australian Drinking Stories, which is in all good bookstores right now, and it is a great read. So without further ado, here is this week's show. Uh, Jim Haynes, how are you, mate? I'm good. Lovely to, lovely to be here and catch you before you head back. That's a great... That's a great sort of voice you got there. That's a great smooth radio voice. Oh, well, you know... Uh... <clears throat> I did start my career in country radio. So yeah, I, I had uh, uh, the, the first show I had on um, little radio station up in uh, northern New South Wales. They used to broadcast the local rugby league. They don't do that anymore. And uh, and then there was a show called Back to the Bible, uh, and they had nothing between it. So that was me. <laughs> that was my. Uh, nobody listened, but it was a lot of fun doing it. And you can yeah, you can you, you learn your way. You, you're, so you are a. Radio background, author background, entertainer, really. Yes, yeah, so a bit of everything. Yeah. You know, you have to be uh, you have to be versatile. Be out there ducking and weaving, making a quid. You can't just do one thing. There's not enough people. Yeah, not in Australia. No, no, no. You can you can get away with that in, in the states, can't you? People in the states have made careers out of wobble boards and that kind of you stuff. You can have a niche career in in the USA. And I remember Geraldine Doyle. Remember her wonderful Irish comedian, and she used to tour the states very successfully. And uh, I, you know, I said to her once, uh, "How do you do it?" And she said, "Well, there's an Irish circuit." You know, yeah, right. Which is uh, only small, only niche, only about twenty-five million people. <laughs> but uh, that's it. Away you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, and as you know, Australians do get that too. We got the, um, you know, Arsh Barkers and and Jamoans. You know, a lot of these guys end up setting up shop here, um, if they can do it, I guess. Um, but you know, when you come from a country like Ireland, four million people. 25 million people in Australia looks like a like a big market, doesn't That's it? That's a big step up for some of those people. Yeah. Now, now, you've just written a book, Jim, 
Um, we've, we've we've had a read of it. It's 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 a great yarn. It is going to be on in a lot of coffee tables around Christmas Day, I reckon, um, because it it's it's got those stories in them that you know your dad's going to want to read. And it's the best Australian drinking stories. Yeah, uh, look, a lot of people buy my books, which do tend to come out around this time of the year. You know, uh, best Australian racing stories, best Australian sea stories, aviation stories. They always seem to come out around this uh, late November, early December. And people buy them for Uncle Fred, who's difficult to buy for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what he gets for Christmas. Whether he reads it or not, I, I don't have no idea but uh, uh, a lot of uh, I sign a lot of them you know to Uncle Fred Merry Christmas <laughs> so what number is this one this is number 26 Jesus yeah. yeah 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 now you, you you and I think you've actually tapped into the more um, uh, yeah like Uncle Fred he's hard to buy for because there's a bit there's a bit of history in your books but there's also a lot of colloquialism and a lot of fun yeah it's a it's a it's a balancing act yeah. uh, between the history. The history has become more important to me over the years. You know, like uh, this one started off as just a collection of, of very funny and amusing and, and sad as well stories about drinking. Uh, there's stories by Ken Cook, Henry Lawson. Uh, and But then once you start to look at, at why they were the way they were, and quite a few of them were alcoholics. You know, Lawson was an alcoholic, Lenny Lowe was an alcoholic, C.J. Dennis. Uh, then you start to inadvertently collect the history and, and you know, you realise that we come from a nation uh, who had a prime minister whose claim to fame was that he was in the world Guinness World Book of Records for being the best beer drinker in the world. Yeah. And we had rum was our currency mm. for 18 years and <laughs> we had this stupid six o'clock closing thing which which gave us a society where men and women were separated and and uh, all sorts of you know social evils crime police corruption all because of uh this link that seems more in our history than any other nation the link between our history and alcohol so did you start to collate these stories uh at the start of this year, or, or has this been a lifelong endeavour, really? Yeah, these are, they sort of evolve. You yeah. Know? I, I, uh, one of the worst things about doing what I do is I sometimes write a book about something about which I know very little. Uh, one of my most successful books was the uh, uh, book of Australian trucking stories. Right. And, and, you know, you can see by looking at me, I'm not, I'm not a sort <laughs> of particularly rugged trucker. But uh, luckily, I did tour with Slim Dusty and I had some contacts and the trucking stories rolled in and the book was very successful. <laughs> I researched the history of, you know, of, of trucking in Australia, which you can do. You only have to be one step ahead of your readers. And, um, and now I've got so many stories since then that we're, we're probably ready for volume two. Once you, yeah. once you finish the book, all the good stories come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a bit of catch me if you can, isn't it? Yeah, Just it stay, is. Stay and, one, uh, one head a week. Sometimes you, I've done three racing books of racing stories because I'm a racing tragic. But, yeah. you know, with some of the others, you think, oh, do I really want to write another book of uh, aviation stories? But the <laughs> stories always come in at the end. Now, tell us, with the with the railway stories, did you really strike a vein there? Because oh. they, they are tragics. Absolutely. You know, I... I uh, 
when I did the railway book, I did it with a mate of mine who has luggage racks on the walls of his house <laughs> and has crockery with with railway on it. You know, like he is yeah. a nut. This guy's a nut. And you need someone like that because if you make a mistake with those railway people, we we used to do a show too where we did the history of railways. We sang a few songs, did some poems, you know. And I had this whistle. I used to, you know, got it down in Salamanca Market, you know, woo woo, and. Uh, we did a show for retired railwaymen, and we had two complaints as as they were leaving, uh, and one was that we provided a railway meal, and one bloke said uh, that wasn't a railway meal; it was way too good to be a railway meal. <laughs> that was one complaint. The other bloke said, "Well, he said the only one thing he said, you know, that whistle you were blowing when you sang that song." I said, "Yeah." He said, "Well, that wasn't the whistle that was on the train that you were singing about." <laughs> so they just they know it all, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, and writing about what you don't know. Uh, that's why, you know, if I stick to racing and alcohol, I'm, I'm in I'm pretty safe territory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, you, you find that um, with these things, once you start scratching the surface on it, you find the right guy to talk to and there's a, an underground network. Is yeah, that absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was really true of the trucking stories. I, I discovered a bloke who put together the Tarkata Memorial and uh, I knew about that because I toured with Slim Dusty and we always used to do a free show down there and uh, from there it just you know it just sort of uh, snowballed out there were all these other people and great stories and uh, and and people Aussies generally just they just you love telling you the stories, you know. Oh, you've got to talk to my mate. You know, it's 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 usually quite a a nice experience to put a book together, and everybody, you know, is keen and helpful. And uh, so far, I haven't done one on politics yet, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's always going to be a treasure trove of stories that are coming out of Canberra, isn't there? Yeah, uh, I don't know if anyone really wants to hear them all again. <laughs> no. uh, but uh, you know, there, it would be. A, I often think of good books, but uh, you know, then my publishers remind me that uh, I have to write books that people want to buy, and uh, that stops me writing quite a few that I'd like to write. But uh, you could do Canberra drinking stories because I reckon a lot yes. of a lot of political yeah. fuck ups have happened over, <laughs> over a few schooners. Absolutely. <laughs> When, when people were, you know, making decisions when they were one or two or five over the eight, that, yeah. it, that would be for sure. Now, now, tell us, like, you know, between this book and you said you work with Slim Dusty, there's a lot of storytellers you've worked with. Like, there's a lot of storytellers you've either written about or worked with. Uh, is there Was there a link between Slim and, and this Lawson era? Because, you know, Lawson... Of course, his boss was Archibald, yep. um, who's now... Gee, the they, Arch- had, they had some good rows. Yeah, yeah. And, and they had... The Archibald Prize is now named after That's his former right. employer. Yep. And, and and Lawson was sent out bush to dry out, which never yep. worked. <laughs> never. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, you, Pat, Patterson, and there was all that, their rows. And then Slim used to sing songs written by both of them, probably n- not a hundred years later, but... Ah, uh, uh, well, yeah, a, a fair while later. Yeah. Uh, um, and Lawson died in 22, and and Slim loved Henry Lawson. At, at his memorial service, they played uh, uh, his favourite song, poem, whatever, which is a Lawson uh, poem called uh, um, Do You Think That I Do Not Know? which is, uh, was Slim's favourite of all time, and he did a lot of albums of Henry Lawson. Uh, and I think that, you know, there's a, there's a letter in, in this book from Henry Lawson to the Bulletin, and it's so honest. He, it's a little letter that he wrote one night in 1903, and he said, Why does a man drink? 
and you know he wrote the letter to the bulletin asking did anybody know why we drink and he said i drink because i uh, i'm sad and then when i get happy i drink because i'm happy and he <laughs> says i drank because i was rejected and and i got awfully drunk when i was accepted and you know and it's a very honest honest letter um and of course a lot of his poetry was uh, was about that and there's a poem called Sweeney which Slim made into a song which is really about Henry Lawson himself telling a drunk how he should behave and and so on so you know Henry's a very strong link between uh, the, the past and and that sort of uh, thread of alcohol that, that runs through because he you know he really invented mateship Henry Lawson he was a bloke who sort of wrote about it and you know there's a poem he wrote called A Mate Can Do No Wrong yeah. You know, no yeah. wrong. Doesn't matter what 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 he does. A mate can do no wrong. So, of course, mateship goes with alcohol in in Australian history very much. And uh, he was, you know, an interesting character because he was jailed nine times for non-payment of maintenance for his kids and alcoholism. And but he was the first first person in New South Wales to get a state funeral. So that shows you the link between alcohol and our history, doesn't yeah, yeah, it? You know, a drunk. Uh, derelict. Yeah. He he had nothing at the end of his life. He was being looked after by people who he really never, you know, showed much gratitude to, to be honest. And and yet he's the first bloke we give a state funeral to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did they give one to Banjo? No, he he didn't get one. Oh, well. um, so he got the nice. absolute last laugh. Then yeah. didn't he? Well, yeah. I nice guess. guys finish last. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and we can't even visit Banjo because he was cremated. But uh, you mentioned uh, J.F. Archibald, who was the editor of the Bulletin, who Lawson had massive rows with because it. Archibald tried to edit his work and make it better. And they're buried out at uh, Waverley Cemetery, luckily on s- opposite sides of the cemetery, because yeah. I reckon if you go out there at midnight, there'd be an awful row going on out there. <laughs> now, you know, tell us, uh, tell us some of these, um, like in what you've kind of learned about, uh, you know, Australian history and how it's been shaped around. And, you know, a lot of wowsers will tell you that, you know, the pub and the grog and, um, you know, and then knock off and the six o'clock swill and all that kind of stuff actually didn't like, you know, shouldn't have uh, played such a big role in the day-to-day life of Australians, but it obviously did to the point now where you're looking at a similar setup in Sydney um, and Newcastle and certain towns in New South Wales where uh, there is no night trade and it's a similar thing. I wouldn't say it's full-blown temperance league, but uh, you know, that, that, it sounds like something that people are going to have to look back on and see, Geez, uh, things got pretty grim there for a while. Yeah, they did, and and it affected us. I think it's still there today. When I was a kid, six o'clock closing had ended in New South Wales, ended in fifty four, I think, or fifty six. Mm-hmm. So, but it was still there. Men still went and drank like crazy after work, yeah. and they didn't take their wives out for a drink or a pleasant meal and a drink because you couldn't because women weren't allowed in that bar and you know that was the problem with the six o'clock closing that it gave us this culture of drinking boozing shouts because you see you only had a limited time so if 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 we went into a pub the three of us we could all buy 12 beers Mm. uh, you know for the shout and and so would everybody else Saying you drink them as quickly as possible and then vomit on on the way home, you know, and and the women who, you know, lobbied for it, the uh, the Temperance League, they their slogan was "We want our men at home." Mm. Well, they got them at home, drunk, yeah. just about yeah. every night, and 
they had it was a big thing in the eighteen started in the eighteen twenties the Temperance League and then the Salvation Army came along and boosted it, but they had women used to sign a pledge: "Lips that touch liquor will never touch mine," yeah. and they were told, you know, never marry a man who who drinks, as opposed to uh, you know Barry McKenzie's well known uh, uh, saying: uh, "Never trust a man who doesn't drink," yeah, which yeah. is more the Australian sort of. Uh, Oh, I don't know, a cliche, I guess. Yeah. But uh, the six o'clock closing was a terrible thing. It handed, it handed uh, crime straight into the hands of um, of criminals, or you know, because you couldn't drink after six o'clock, but somebody was going to sell it. Yeah, you know. So and- did, did Australia have that speakeasy culture? Did it have? Do you know if it was there? Was it? I mean, I don't know if we had the Appalachian moonshiners. <laughs> well, I think we had a few rum stills around in the back of the days of the Rum Rebellion. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, it was never that bad because it wasn't complete prohibition. Yeah. You know, uh, so it caused different problems, I think. Binge drinking, for one. Yeah, yeah. And, and people accepted that these laws were stupid. I think that's that was part of the problem. My mum was a decent hard-working, working-class, church-going woman who'd never been in a pub in her life. But even she realised that, you know, it was stupid. You know, and if you wanted to buy a beer uh, on Sunday afternoon or after 6 o'clock, there was someone who'd sell it to you. And she thought, well, you know, that what's wrong with that? So decent people accepted that these laws were, were pretty stupid. And uh, and that, that didn't, you know, that, that didn't help. And, and when the Royal Commission ended... Uh, the six o'clock closing in, in New South Wales, the, the judge who presided said that this was an obvious evil, that it was causing all sorts of terrible social problems in, in our society. Um, and, of course, the clubs <laughs> the clubs came along as a result of uh, uh, after World War II um, because people needed somewhere where they could go that was, you know, re- relatively decent place to have a drink and take your wife and that sort of stuff. And... Uh, and of course, that that then create helped create the gambling problem because yeah, yeah. they were supported by the poker machine. So one thing leads to another. Yeah, it's interesting to see when uh when Clancy and I were in Melbourne um, on the road show, it seems that the pubs there they were a lot more keen to have you in because they didn't have the poker machines, so they'd rather you know have have a couple of piss blokes in there as opposed to having a room full of people who aren't, but the people who who gamble as they do in uh, in Queensland and New South Wales. Yeah, well, I mean that that's happened in in re- fairly recent times, hasn't it? That pubs have now got poker machines as well as it used to be. Clubs had pokies, but they were community centres. Pubs didn't have them. Uh, now you know the, the the pubs have them, and that that's that's caused the the clubs to struggle. So uh, you know it. it the thing about the six o'clock closing, 1916, there was a huge riot of soldiers in Liverpool, near Sydney, and they wrecked the pubs in Liverpool. They came into Sydney and people were terrified because there were 15,000 trainee soldiers with, with firearms roaming the city. <laughs> and that's why they voted. It was four months before they had the vote. Yeah, right. And... and the year before, the Labor government had said, we won't close the pubs. It used to be 11 o'clock all across yeah. it, uh, until 1916, everywhere in Australia, 11 o'clock. They said, we won't do it. And they got elected with a healthy majority. Now, only a few months later, after the soldiers' riot, people voted two to one 
to close the pubs at six o'clock, thinking it seemed like a good yeah. idea at the time, but you know, it, it turned out to not be a good idea at all. Bit of knee jerk, knee jerk populism. Now, tell us on on that vein of um, excessive drinking, and and of course that isn't the the, the uh, you know for a lot of people that doesn't define uh, you know pub culture in Australia, um, but for a lot of people it does. And there was one bloke in Cooper Pedy who, uh, <laughs> who who appears in your book who may have been sent to jail for a very long time if he drove home from the pub that night. Oh my heavens! Isn't that a Ivan? And it's a great story. Ken Cook was a great storyteller. You know, he was a true Aussie and he wrote some very funny stories. And I think there are three or four in, in the book. But he also understood Aussies. And, of course, he wrote that scary novel, which became a movie called Wake in Fright. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's it's his story. And um, I know his, his widow quite well. So I wouldn't I'd never say that he'd write anything that wasn't true. But uh, it's a bet. Uh, and of course, when you go to places like Lightning Ridge and Cooper Pedy, you're in another mm. universe. You're you're in a universe of men who, you know, haven't existed since Neanderthals died out. A yeah. lot of them. And so that silver, that opal, that silver, you see it in Broken Hill and Mount Isa a bit as yep. well. That kind of remote madness. Yeah. And uh, and of course, you know, this man is uh, the, the bet is that he can't drink a hundred stubbies. And uh, I'll, I'll let people find out by reading the book what happens at the end. <laughs> Yeah. How much is that? That's, that's, what's that? That's 100 times what? 375 oh, mils? Yeah, I've no idea. But uh, I, would have, I would have thought that nobody could survive it. But as you said, the character Ivan in that story is hardly normal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also it's stubbies too, because they're that far out, they don't really have draft beer. No, they don't have yeah. draft beer. And that's the other interesting thing about, you know, we, we've always had this reputation of being a nation of beer drinkers. But, you know, until the 1880s, uh, it wasn't beer that people drank in outback pubs because there was no refrigeration. Yeah. And uh, one of the great ironies for me is that our uh, our most famous beer overseas, Foster's, you know, and if you've lived overseas, you spend half your time telling people we don't drink that at home yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because they've done such a good job of marketing it. But uh, Foster's was actually set up by two American brothers who came out here to sell refrigeration. Right. And they went to Melbourne, and one was a bit shonky. He was being chased. He'd, he'd done a few naughty things back home, and he owed a lot of money. And um, they came to Melbourne to sell refrigeration, which was new technology. And they thought the best way we can show this technology is to, you know, give people a beer and say, look at that. That's, you know, that's what refrigeration is. So that, they, they created Foster's Brothers Brewery. They sold it two years later and went away. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and now it's supposed to be the most Australian beer worldwide. It yeah. was invented by Americans and they, they uh, were only here to sell fridges or refrigeration. Tell us a little bit about the New South Wales beer, the Reshers. They were brothers as well, weren't they? Yeah, look, most of those uh, pubs uh, or, or the big ones, uh, Castle Main. Castle Main's an interesting one. Now, of course, it's Castle Main. It's a famous beer in Queensland, but yeah. actually started its life as Castle Main yeah. because it was in Victoria where right. Castle Main is what they say. Yeah. And um, 
that was started by two Irish brothers right. who, and then it, it amalgamated into a huge conglomerate of Carlton United and a whole pile of, uh, uh, of breweries that got together. But the, the funny thing is, I, the great trivia question, you know, what was 4X called before it was 4X? And sadly, it was called 3X. <laughs> <laughs> it was a beer that Foster's brewed called 3X and then they changed the recipe and... Uh, course now it's what uh, how the, how queenslanders spell beer yeah, but, yeah. Uh, that's how forex came about yeah yeah no there's a, there's a lot of um a lot of different um moments in in history with that that kind of there was brisbane brisbane bitter popped up for a while there i'm not sure if that was with the powers family but it was it was something that was uh, and it didn't last very long it was Belimba bitter brisbane bitter and Brisbane Bitter used to get called, and this is would have been a brand marketing nightmare. They used to call it Brisbane River. Right, <laughs> that's what I reckon it tasted like. <laughs> well, there were there were breweries in all the larger country towns. You know, mm. there was Mudgy Mud, and there was uh, the beer at Grafton had a reputation that that gets a mention in the pub with no beer. Yeah. You know, because uh, the bloke who couldn't get a beer moved on to Grafton because there's a brewery there where the brewery stands near. And the wonderful story again by Ken Cook in the book is the drunken kangaroo. Yeah. Which is about when his dad was a police sergeant at Brewarrina in way, way up. I can't imagine Brewarrina having its own brewery, but it did. And uh, uh, the pet kangaroo who lived next door to them uh, became an alcoholic because he started eating all the all the waste product, the slops from the from the brewery. A very funny story. <laughs> that tells some of these towns have still got their soft drink. Uh, yes, there's soft drink operations. Yeah, they're still. You know, yeah, Maury's got yeah, Maury. I was trying to think, what is it? Yeah. Um, and there's a cola company in Burke, yeah. too. Uh, Kirk's, I think, is that's another rural one. But yeah, they, they did that. You know, it was a lot more local in those days. You had, you know, not only the things that you couldn't get any other way, like the butcher and you know, and the, and the, the baker, because it was too far to go to get. You know, the meat would have been rotten and and the bread stale. But uh, they also, you know. Towns did have their own uh, breweries and their own soft drink companies, and uh, it's it's all changing now. Mm. Now, tell us what, what do you have anything in mind after this? I mean, you've done you've done your, your racing stories, and the Spring Carnival has just finished this year. Um, it's always a busy time for a punter, but uh, there's uh, have you done any other particular Australian sports? Uh, no, I I haven't. I've been tempted to do um, tennis and and AFL, and and many years ago I did a whole album of supposed comedy songs about rugby league uh, for uh, uh, Festival Records just before they went out of existence. It probably had a bit to do with it, but uh, <laughs> um, I think the problem racing is is uh, the two sports that you can write about endlessly in Australia are racing and cricket mm-hmm. because. Cricket fans and racing tragics read books. They, you know, they're yeah. into stati- if you're a cricket fan or a racing fan, you're into numbers and statistics and history. You know, and, yeah. and uh, they tend to read books. Whereas maybe um, tennis wouldn't have enough 
and enough people across yeah. the general public, you know, and and, uh, and rugby league fans prefer variety shows on well, half an hour yes. on Sunday night. Yes. <laughs> now, I, I, I did write a book of uh, called the uh, ABC Book of Australian Country Music, which they thought was a very good idea. But I did have a an editor at the time who shall remain nameless, Stuart <laughs> Neal, who uh, <laughs> who when this idea came up said, "Well, do." you think that country music fans read? And then he hesitated and, and added books. Yeah. But um, it turned out that he was quite right. Country music people buy CDs. Yeah. And yeah. You've got to understand your market. Mm-hmm. And um, that book uh, didn't exactly get me to the French Riviera. So, <laughs> Well, hopefully this one does. Well, I, I hope so, too, yeah. because I have some lovely wine over there. <laughs> I could keep researching for volume two. Yeah, yeah. great wino stories. <laughs> um, thanks for talking to us today. Um, I think uh, this will be, uh, like I said, a staple um, um, in stockings and on coffee tables around the country come uh, Christmas Day. And uh, yeah, there's plenty of stories in there. The, yeah, as we said before, the the hundred the hundred stubby bet in Cooper Pedy is uh, is one to yeah. get onto well, and, and find out what happened to him. <laughs> and some funny poems too, you know, about homebrew and various other things uh, to to maybe you know uh, go go there with the history, which which gets a bit uh, you know if you want to understand the way we are today, uh, a few of the. The little history lessons in there about our association with alcohol might uh, might give you an insight. Yeah, there was one that I I really liked about the uh, <laughs> about the guy who who uh, he came across a big dog, and then he decided that he was hungry and the dog was hungry, and uh, he ordered up a couple pies. Yeah, him and the dog. <laughs> that is a very old story that used to be anthologised all the time. Uh, it's it's called The Lobster and the Lioness by Ernest O'Farrell. And, and you know, one of the joys of what I do, and, and I, you know, there's no profit in it really, but he's been forgotten. You know, Ernest yeah. O'Farrell was completely fig- He used to write the Chundaloo ads for uh, uh, Cobra boot polish uh, that uh, Norman Lindsay and Lionel Lindsay drew the pictures, which is where we get our word Chunda. You know, yeah, yeah. Chundaloo of Akim Fu was this Indian cartoon character who uh, went to war in World War One, and and um, you know he he uh, he saved us from all sorts of things, and and he was a comic character. He would be completely, um, you know out today you, you just you're politically incorrect to the nth degree but uh he it became rhyming slang in world war one between the soldiers you know uh, i'm i'm going to have a chandaloo which made us a, a spew and uh, and then they just left off the loo bit and so that's where we get our word chanda but ernest o'farrell used to write the little poems that went with the ads that were drawn by norman Lindsay, and it's a very funny story it's an old-fashioned story the lobster and the lioness but it it has a lot of chuckles now, tell us, uh, as someone who grew up in, in, in Sydney and kind of in the uh, inner east, I guess you could say, went to school, did you ever meet anyone, um, you know, that might have reminded you? like An iconic uh, fictional character that came out of Sydney at that time was Les Norton. And mm-hmm. um, he's a big hit in Western Queensland because that's where he's purportedly from before he ended up in Bondi um, <laughs> as, as a, a gay nightclub bouncer and... Uh, could have been rugby league star. Uh, did you ever meet anyone like that growing up? Uh, I met characters growing up because uh, I was hanging around racing stables even then, 
uh, hanging around City Nichols Racing Stable, and I used to, you know, clean out. And they they pretended that I worked there. You know, I think they gave me ten bob or something. But uh, um, there were real characters there, and uh, particularly racing people. And what I realised is that the glamour of racing, uh, you know, with the, with the Aga Khan and all these people, there's a hell of a lot of derelicts and deadbeats down the bottom working in stables. And uh, But I, I think the character who I've made the most use of in my, all my writing, um, I have a character called Dipso Dan, who is the town drunk of Wheeler Barabak, my little <laughs> iconic hometown, which if you're looking for it, it's on the West Australia-New South Wales border. And... Uh, He's based on a very, very real bloke that I knew for six years in a country town where I was teaching uh, and very, very much based on that character who was an incredibly tragic character and, and, you know, a very funny bloke because he was the town drunk. That was his, that was his uh, position in life and he went about it very seriously. <laughs> uh, and I've written a lot about Dipso Dan, comedy and, and some, you know, true stories as well but I've always disguised the character I, I, uh, I've never let on who he actually was but if people who know where I was teaching <laughs> might be able to work it out for themselves and that's what you think you find you found a lot of uh, undesirables in where would you say you'd meet the, the most kind of characters in bush racing or in the city oh I think those Racing's fairly uh, across the board, yeah. you know. I mean, you do meet the characters out in the bush who are racing identities, and one particular one who's on uh, on Fox who mangles the English language to the point where it's comedic. You know, <laughs> he can't make a sentence without mangling the language and changing tenses five times and using adjectives instead of adverbs. And I love that, but he's he's actually very good at what he does <laughs> and I back his tips quite often so yeah, right. those people are, are out there more so in the bush I think mm-hmm. you know and now in the city racing such a big business you've mm-hmm. really got to be on the ball and you know it's full of uh, fairly well trained media people and and so on and, and they they teach the jockeys now to speak very well you know? yeah. Yeah. remember in the old days when they used to interview the jockey it, you never knew what it was you know well he done good and, you know, uh, but to now, they all seem to be able to, to speak and be interviewed and, yeah. and, and uh, do it very well. Yeah, they've got the yeah. footballer on the sideline type thing. They'll have their kids with them after a race. You yep. know, it's kind of very wholesome compared to when they were back in the day having a durry and kind of yeah. be, looking a bit shifty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Tommy Radonica school of... Uh, uh, but uh, you still get, you know, w- with the footballers, I think the AFL do a pretty good job uh, of, uh, you know... Uh, media training for, for their footballs. <laughs> Rugby league can still be a bit rough around the edges at times. And, of course, most of the soccer coaches, you, you, they can't speak English yeah, at all. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. They're, they're, and they're passionate too. They're, they're, yeah, they're, very. They're yelling. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for coming in. Oh, um, my pleasure. Jim, we, um, we, it was fun. We, uh, we, you've, you've written, what was it, 20, 26. 26, 26, 26 yeah. books. And uh, there's something there for everyone. So um, uh, you should start with this one. Uh, Best Australian Drinking Stories by Jim Haynes. It's uh, all good bookstores. And even the bad ones. Yeah, and the bad yep. ones. I don't think there are any bad ones left now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. they're called the post office now. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, they, uh, my books do get in the post office. And uh, and they're also on, on the website, of course. And yeah. Got a special deal. Buy, buy two, get one free this Christmas. 
right. and give them to Uncle Fred. Mm-hmm. Uncle Fred. <laughs> Uncle Fred is the archetype. He's the core demo. <laughs> and he'll love it too. Yeah. Thanks, Jim. Thank Thanks you, Jim. And that was Jim Haynes, hell of a storyteller there. He's got plenty of stories, and it sounds like he's got a, a fair few more in mind after this one, so we hope he uh, he finds the time and, and, and the creative juices to get, get through all of those ones. Personally, I'd like to see a great Australian uh, newsroom journalism behind-the-scenes type story, and I'm sure he's, he's learned a lot in his time in the pubs because that's where you're going to hear all those yarns. Or else you could just go see the Batuta Advocate Roadshow the next time we go on tour, but that won't be happening for a while. So thanks to everyone who did come out and see us. Uh, we had a great time seeing all the different corners of this country, and we are surprisingly heading into Christmas with a few extra kilos. So uh, expect to see a more plump Errol Parker and Clancy Overall in the new year. Anyway, that's it for this week. We hope you are enjoying uh, the early, early days of December. We, we see the decorations are already up in the shops and we're going to get bombarded with Christmas right through. So uh, enjoy yourselves. Be kind to each other. I'm Clancy Overall. You're listening to the Batuta Every Radio Show. Please stay out of the pokies.